Welcome to Priestesses Prescribe, a fresh new take on a spiritual wellness podcast. Join us, Erica of Boss Bruja and Alex of High Priestess of Brooklyn, as we blend astrological advice and holistic wellness through the lens of tarot for our new and full moon forecasts. We'll also bring your deeper dives into topics like what the hell happens during a Saturn return and how to properly cleanse your space. Now, let's get spiritual. Hello, hello. Hey, Alex. Hi, Erica. How are you doing? I'm doing well, especially because we have an amazing guest today who I'm super excited to have on. So excited to have Dr. Lucky Sakon with us today. She is a reproductive endocrinologist and infertility specialist and a board certified OBGYN. Fancy. She has a particular expertise in fertility preservation, so egg freezing and LGBTQ family building and in vitro fertilization. She grew up in Toronto, Canada. What, what? I grew up in Rochester, (laughs) very, very close, (laughs) and moved to New York City in 2011 to complete her OBGYN residency and fellowship training at Mount Sinai. While she maintains a busy clinical practice, she also publishes and presents cutting-edge clinical research in the field of reproductive medicine. She is passionate about educating women about their reproductive health and family-building options. Welcome, Lucky. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be having this conversation with you guys today. Of course. So Lucky and I met when we were both writing for a publication called Sportlux, which is actually an Australian publication. And we started chatting over what else? Astrology, (laughs) (laughs) which is basically how I start all my conversations. (laughs) But Lucky, thank you so much for coming. I think a big topic that we want to discuss with you is really the connection between the mind and body, particularly for female health and the fertility journey that we may or may not want to start as women, a conversation that needs to be had. So first and foremost, just to start from base level, when and how do women start working with you? So I see a variety of different types of patients who are from all different walks of life at different stages of their reproductive life, you know, spanning from patients who are not anywhere close to being ready to start building a family or getting pregnant, but they just come to me for a reproductive checkup. Maybe they're worried because their cycles are irregular and they want to try to understand what's going on and diagnose any underlying problems that could be causing that. I also see many women that want to preserve their fertility for the future, whether that be egg freezing or embryo freezing, if they want to use a sperm donor or if they're using sperm from a partner. Um, Patients who are actively trying to get pregnant who can't for whatever reason, and we're trying to find out what the underlying barrier is and ways to get around it. I have patients who are ready to get pregnant but they need to do it in a specific way. Maybe they are a known carrier of a genetic mutation that they know that they don't want to pass that down to their children. So we're going to do IVF and genetically test embryos and make sure that they're not propagating that forward. I see patients who go into early menopause and they just want to restore normal hormonal balance. So there's so many different things that I see. You know, we do reproductive surgeries to remove blockages. So 
I really love what I do because it's always different. And every day that I come into the office, I never know exactly, you know, what kind of problems I'm going to encounter. But the one common thread is I feel like the conversations that I get to have with patients, it's all about educating women about their reproductive health, how their bodies work. And I think that's so important because so much of this involves a lack of control and I think just having more knowledge about how your own body functions and what is exactly happening to help you ovulate and for all of these things to go well, I think that gives everyone a sense of empowerment. And only when you actually know how your body works and you understand what the time-sensitive issues are, can you make an informed decision about what you want to do, if anything. You don't have to do something, but you, know, you can take proactive steps. You can, you know, just be informed and know when it's time to ask for help. So, you know, a lot of what I do is educating women and the conversation starts whenever you want it to. I mean, people come to me just to learn more and get some baseline testing done. And that's sometimes all it is. And others, you know, want to go the full way in terms of whether they want to preserve their fertility or get treatment. So Dr. Lucky, speaking of time and time sensitivity, I recently turned 29 years old and maybe about three months into my 29th birthday, I almost felt that internal biological clock begin to tick. I don't know Mm -hmm. what happened. Literally, I went to sleep one day, not really concerned about children. And the next day I woke up like, I probably should be getting pregnant sometime very soon. So I know that you can't put all women into a box, but is there a particular age or a particular moment in a woman's life where seeking out a fertility specialist is ideal? So this is something that I feel so passionate about talking about because I feel like the biological clock, that dreaded two words, is something that society has taught all of us to fear. And everyone loves to remind us about the time we are, you know, wasting or the time that we don't have. And it sucks. I mean, no one wants to feel like they're under pressure. And it kind of takes away from that feeling that women have that, you know, they want to have it all. And I feel like society is very quick to remind us that no, 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 you have this, this thing you need to worry about. So it's important to understand what the time sensitivities are. And a lot of people don't truly understand. Most of us know or are familiar with the concept that it has to do with our eggs, right? We're born with all the eggs we're ever going to have in our ovaries. And we can't make new eggs. We can't fix our eggs. And in general, you're born with like an average number of one to two million. And by the time you get into menopause, the average age of which in this country is in your 50s, early 50s, you have less than a thousand left and that's when your cycle starts spacing out and you stop ovulating and you're no longer in the game to get pregnant, right? Not only because you're not ovulating, but because egg quality becomes an issue too. And because of this fact of just having this fixed number and not being able to do anything to change them or regenerate them, there's actually two different things that are changing over time. And I like to make the distinction that there's two different things because they often get interchanged and confused when we think about the quantity and the quality of our eggs. The reason why they get confused is because they're both talking about our eggs and they both are metrics that tend to change for the worse more rapidly at 35 and older. But they're very distinct issues. One of them you can test for and the other you cannot. So I'm gonna talk about the one you can test for because that's easier to wrap your mind around it. So let's talk about that first. 
egg quantity is how many eggs you have available in any given cycle. That's something that I can assess. You could come in and I could do an ultrasound and just get a snapshot view of your ovaries and I'd be able to count. They look like black circles on the ultrasound. And what I'm looking at aren't all the eggs you have, right? I'm not counting millions or thousands. They're a subset that your body automatically pulled to the surface of the ovary. It's an automated process. It's like a process of recruitment. And your brain sends out a signal automatically if you're not on birth control. And the first one to respond to the signal, it's like a lottery, is the egg that gets selected to ovulate that month. The rest of those other ones that got pulled to the surface die off and go away, never to be seen again. And if that egg turns into a pregnancy, great. If it doesn't, then the next month, a new set of recruits is up to that. Knowing how many get pulled to the surface tells me about how many you have overall. And ultimately, the only reason I, as a fertility doctor, care about how many are pulled to the surface is it just tells me how many I have to work with should you need treatment, right? All I can get to as a doctor are the ones pulled to the surface. I have no technology treatment or medication to get to the ones inside the core of the ovary. So I'm relying on your body to serve up an adequate number, whether you're going through IVF to try to get pregnant or even things like egg freezing. When people talk about, oh, I froze my eggs and I was able to get X number, that was a function of how many their doctor was able to even access in the first place. And the more you have, the more you pull to the surface. That's why the younger you do some of these things, the more you get out of a given cycle because you have access to more eggs. Now, the other thing is blood work, right? We can always test different hormone levels. There's this hormone that people always talk about called AMH or anti-malarian hormone. The higher the number, the more eggs you have, and your doctor should help you interpret that. Someone shouldn't just be testing this and then leave you to interpret it with Dr. Google. They should explain to you what the level means. You can test what your egg quantity looks like now at this given snapshot in time, but it's really limited. And that's another misconception. A lot of women think this will tell you when they're going to go into menopause or when it's a good time to freeze their eggs, like how long you have until things are gonna drop off and change more drastically, I can't tell you that. None of this tells you about the future. It doesn't tell you about the rate at which we're all losing eggs. We don't know how to assess that. So it's very limited. And as far as science has come, I think it's important to be really honest and transparent and acknowledge what the drawbacks are and the things we can't test for. Now, the last thing I'll say about quantity is it doesn't determine your fertility. When I tell a woman, oh, your count is on the lower side, either because you started out with a low number from the time you were born, or you just lose them faster than the average patient your age, people freak out and think that means they're infertile, but they're not. Every month you release one egg. So whether you have a million that I can access or a couple thousand or, you know, whatever your number is, it's not going to impact the odds or the chance of any ovulation resulting in a healthy pregnancy. It just isn't. That brings me to the next metric, which is egg quality. Your egg quality determines the likelihood that you can actually get pregnant, your natural fertility, and there is no test for it. I cannot tell you from doing an ultrasound or blood work what your egg quality is. All I can do is look at your age and put you in a bucket with every other X-year-old patient and say, based on your age, I'm going to assume that this is your egg quality and this is what the situation is. And that's not perfect. And so it's not, it's, it's not going to be 
something that we can tell you about, but we do have a lot of clues because we know that the age of a woman is very closely linked to her egg quality. And when we talk about egg quality, I'm not gonna get bogged in the details of this. I'm talking about the chance of any egg that you ovulate resulting in a healthy live birth. And it really comes down to the genetic content of each egg. A lot of our eggs start to become genetically abnormal over time. It's never perfect. I took the eggs of a 25 year old and turned them into embryos and genetically tested them. A quarter of them would be abnormal. That's as good as it gets. And that number, a quarter, just gets that proportion gets higher as we get older and it becomes much more rapid in our mid to late 30s. What that means is the odds of ovulating an abnormal egg start to rise as we get older. So that's why it gets harder to get pregnant and there's a higher risk of miscarriage if a pregnancy does occur as you get older, especially late 30s, early 40s and beyond. But there still are normal eggs in there. You just might have to work harder to find them and there are treatments that can make this whole process more efficient. Thank you for that education lesson. I did not know a lot of the things that you just said, so I'm really grateful for that. And I'm sure a lot of women will be very grateful to know a little bit more about what that looks like, because you're right, there are misconceptions. Dr. Google is very scary. And we often hear the horror stories of, you know, women who struggle with fertility. We see that a lot in mainstream media. And then we see that, oops, I got pregnant. And there's not a whole lot in between. So I think that kind of creates this conception like, oh, some people are are lucky, no pun intended, and some people are not. (laughs) And you're just one or the other. And the reality is, is we live in a spectrum of a lot of different results when it comes to anything, but particularly with the fertility journey. I also want to touch on something you said earlier too, which is we're sort of testing for these things. We can look and see certain metrics, but there's a lot we cannot see, i.e. we cannot predict the future, which is I think what you literally said. And, you know, Erica and I have the fortunate opportunity to work with many women who are looking to predict the future or looking to anticipate what's coming next and interpret energy. Erica and I are not fortune tellers, but we can read the energy of a particular situation, a particular event. We can, I can look at a chart and see, you know, if there could be anything in your chart that might have something to do with starting a family or your partner. But what I like to tell women is that energy can change and that we are more at the whims of riding that wave of life and, and, you know, we can do what we can do, but there's a whole host that we'll never know. So I'm sure when women come to you, they're experiencing some level of anxiety, whether it's one or 10. Right. I, you know, can anticipate a little bit just because of your demeanor, but how do you quell that anxiety that they might be feeling? Well, you know, I think that, it's important as a doctor to never be alarmist. And it's, I mean, the the whole concept of the biologic clock is one of the most stressful things that, you know, we talk about with women and automatically, like you can see their body language and their energy changes. And I think explaining it in a way where it's, it's not black and white and there are so many shades of gray because a lot of people think at 35, it's like a switch goes off and all your eggs just change and everything's bad. And I think just really trying to be, and and, and it's not sugarcoating, it's not putting a spin on things, 
just being really honest and transparent and really trying to not overwhelm people with information, but I think the more you know about it, the less anxious you're going to feel. And that's where, you know, being patient and being able to really explain and educate and walk people through it. I want to feel like when a patient leaves my office that they really understand it. They're not just nodding their head, eyes glossed over. They get it. My experience as a patient on the other end of things, because I've gone through fertility treatment myself and in being any kind of patient, medicine can be scary. But if I truly understand what's happening with my body, I'm automatically coming in at a lower anxiety level. So I think education is important. I think really trying to empathize with the patient and put myself in their shoes and really understand all of the factors that are going into their decision making and, and what they're going through. I think those are the two most important components of the doctor-physician relationship and trying to minimize anxiety as much as possible. So Dr. Lucky, seeing that a lot of our listeners are really interested in holistic health, functional health, and integrative healthcare measures in addition to Western healthcare, do you feel as if there is a trend specifically in the U.S. to try to merge the two. And I ask specifically because prior to fully transitioning into holistic healthcare, I founded a medical group in the Caribbean. And we saw a growing number of patients asking for functional and integrative healthcare treatments in addition to their Western care. But unfortunately, because of the bureaucratic nature of the region, we weren't really able to do so. So that's when I decided to branch off and fully focus on holistic healthcare and trying to give healthcare from the opposite end of the spectrum. But it was very difficult to merge the two. Seeing that you're a physician and hopefully you have, one being in the US, there is a little bit more flexibility with that. Do you think that that's something that's starting to happen? Oh yeah, it's been happening. You know, we routinely will tell patients to go see an acupuncturist, you know, and, and it doesn't have to just limit there, but I think that's where the intersection is the strongest. You know, Chinese medicine has been around for thousands and thousands of years. And as a Western medicine doctor, I feel like it would be very naive for me to think that IVF, the medications, all of these interventions and amazing cutting edge technologies and discoveries, which have really come about in the last four decades, that all of that has much more wisdom than something that's been around for thousands of years. I'm in the firm belief that you don't have to be able to explain the mechanism of action behind every single thing that you do, provided that the potential harms and, and side effects aren't, you know, so great where you don't want to be doing certain things that don't have evidence for them if you feel like there could be potential harms or side effects, you know, to the patient. But something like acupuncture, you know, there have been many studies that have shown that it significantly reduces the anxiety and emotional distress associated with treatment. There are some studies that show actual improved outcomes. There are some other studies which haven't shown changes in live birth rates per se, but who's to say that that's the the metric we should be measuring this all by. You know, you mentioned earlier, um, Alex, that, you know, women going through fertility treatment, you know, face anxiety, and it's a really charged topic and experience to go through. And I think 
especially because you're playing the long game a lot of the times. This isn't something where it's, you know, a one week treatment and it's over. There is a real element of burnout and dropout. And I think in order to position yourself in a way where you're ready for the marathon, it's not a sprint, doing anything you can to improve your quality of life, your ability to cope emotionally and to minimize stress levels and anxiety is always going to lead to a better outcome. So we pair our treatments with acupuncture a lot. Um, a lot of our patients will take, you know, Chinese herbs and things like that. And I always am open to it from the get-go. I never want my patient doing things on the side and not disclosing things to me, thinking that I'm going to poo-poo it because I'm a Western medicine doctor. I think it's really important to keep the lines of communication open. And I'm definitely all for, you know, things like that, integrative medicine, anything that's thinking outside the box. And anecdotally, what I've seen is I've seen things like that make patients more responsive to treatments. You know, there are certain types of treatments where we care about how thick your lining of your uterus is before we put an embryo into it. And I've seen women with really thin linings and we don't know why. There's no real explanation, but their body's not responding to the medication to thicken their lining. And the next cycle, they'll pair everything with acupuncture and all of a sudden they're so much more responsive. So it is anecdotal, but based on my experience and based on just being humble and understanding that there are things I can't always explain as a doctor and that's okay. I definitely incorporate it into my practice. I love that. Thank you for sharing that too. And I really appreciate talking with you because of the fact, basically all that you just said, one of the first doctors that Western doctors that I really trusted was an endocrinologist she was also East Indian, and she was extremely holistic with me. She really helped me understand. I have a thyroid disorder, so when I was like 25 or 26, I gained a lot of weight. I had an eating disorder before that that I think kicked it into gear, but all of that landed me in her office, and I really appreciated that she would suggest ashwagandha or she would suggest that I really lean into the exercise that was working for me. And she constantly checked in with me on medication and would constantly ask me, okay, you're on this medication. Are you thinking about getting pregnant? If you are, we will have to switch you and we will have to do that. She just gave me so much, so much information like you're speaking about. So I never felt I never felt ill-equipped. I felt much more at ease and I was able to really change my health around. And I really, I really credit her for helping me do that. And I, I also want to bring up endocrinology just because I think what's also interesting about this experience in fertility has a lot to do with hormones, of course. And I've been on that journey for many years now. And I remember getting off the pill for that reason, because I don't respond, my body doesn't respond well to additional hormones having a thyroid disorder. So I went on, this is TMI, but I'm sure our listeners will understand. I went on an IUD, copper IUD about actually exactly when Trump got elected. So I was a little scared and um, I, I really appreciate that I'm on that now because I don't have these hormones. I was able to regulate my cycle and get it to a point. I also have PCOS again, hormones, crazy, but I was able to get my cycle to a regular point, like as where I stand right now. So that's awesome. Yeah. Well, I just want to ask you a little bit about what you see in that regard with, with cycles and hormones and like when women are coming to you and, and how you 
diagnose and, and come up with an action plan for that? Yeah, I always like to keep it really simple. And so the analogy that it's not really an analogy, but the way I break it down when you think about ovulation, because it can sound really complicated and it, and it is confusing because people are like, well, how do I track it? I don't know what's going on with my cycle. All of these things are happening behind this invisible curtain and not everyone's in tune with all of the signs and symptoms of ovulation. So people sometimes don't really know where to even begin when they get asked the question, do you ovulate regularly? So the main sign of ovulation is when you get a period. You know that a period usually can't really come about unless you ovulated two weeks prior. And so someone who gets a period every month, then that's a very, very strong clue that they ovulate regularly every month. And that's very easy textbook cut and dry. It becomes a little bit more confusing when someone gets really irregular periods and you don't really know when the ovulation is happening or why it's irregular. And I like to break it down by thinking of it as a series of communication signals. You have your brain and your pituitary gland, which is in the brain, and you have your ovaries, right? And there are signals that get sent out from the brain and then they have to be received by the ovaries and that's how ovulation occurs. There are patients that the most common problem that causes irregular ovulation is PCOS, polycystic ovary syndrome, which again, not a great name because it really doesn't have anything to do with the cysts in the ovaries. That's like a very small component. It's more like a game of broken telephone in the ovary. The signals are being sent out, but the ovary for some reason is not listening. And somewhere, it's like a relay race, like the baton is being dropped because there's a series of messages getting sent from you know unit to unit in that ovary. And somewhere along the way, something got lost in translation and eventually it might get picked up. And that's why it took you two months to finally get a period because eventually your ovary listens. But your brain is just sending that signal out and saying, come on, ovary, why aren't you listening to me? That's one common cause. And why it happens, there's genetic factors. We know women with PCOS tend to have uh, family members with PCOS or clues like lots of family members with high blood pressure, diabetes, because there is a metabolic component to PCOS. Women with PCOS can have an underlying predisposition to those types of chronic health conditions later in life. So even though your grandmother maybe never told you, hi, I have PCOS, the fact that she might have some of those other issues could be something that points to a family history. There could be environmental factors. And we know that you know weight gain and things that change with our own bodies can also kick off underlying PCOS and make your cycles irregular. And that's why a lot of women will be confused because they'll say, well, how could I have PCOS? I had regular cycles up until two years ago. But a lot of times these things only show themselves in your 20s and 30s. And sometimes it's a little bit of weight gain or inactivity or health problems that can help kick it off, whether it's thyroid dysfunction, et cetera. So that's one type of reason, right? The other is your ovaries might be listening, but your brain isn't sending the signal out, either because it has a deficiency of those hormones or because it just doesn't know how to send out the signal for whatever reason. That's less common, but reasons for it that are common are, you know, patients with eating disorders where they've had a long period of time with an energy deficit because of lack of caloric intake, or they've been exercising like crazy, and so their body is depleted of energy, and it's basically your brain's way of saying, 
you're not ready to get pregnant right now. Like there is an energy deficit. Let's shut that down so we can shunt resources to other parts of the body that need it because now's not a great time for us to be pregnant. That takes a lot of energy. And so that's one of the reasons. And sometimes it's other things that you can't control, like small benign tumors that can develop in the pituitary gland and take up space and stop those signals from being sent out. So those are the two major reasons why ovulation can be irregular. Then there's other things like thyroid that play into that whole signaling system. And so there's a whole battery of tests that we do, and we will find out why you're not ovulating regularly. I have yet to come across a case where I can't figure that out. So that's the good news. You know, just going in for a checkup, you can expect to get some sort of answers. And if you feel like you're not getting answers or you're not talking to someone who's willing to explain what's going on, then seek a second opinion and don't stop till you get that information. Thank you for that answer. Seeing that we, the the basis, the foundation of priestesses prescribe is really relevant to the moon and astrological elements. And there's a theory amongst the spiritual community, specifically women who consider themselves priestesses, about this notion of a red moon and a white moon. And basically the red moon is that is the thought that if your period revolves around the full moon or always lands on the full moon, that you're more spiritually inclined. Or if your menstrual cycle falls along the white moon or the new moon cycle, it's not that you're at, not as spiritually inclined, but it's just more so that your spiritual gifts may fall under a different umbrella. And I know specifically for me, my menstrual always falls along the full moon. I'm more likely to trust the lunar cycle versus, you know, maybe my menstrual app. So do you have any thoughts around why that happened, especially for some women versus others? Or do you even believe that's true? Well, I don't discredit it. I think that there are are many theories as to why there have been links that have been made between the lunar cycle and the menstrual cycle. Some people say, well, it's just a coincidence, right? The length of time for the, and you guys are experts in this more than I am, but the length of a lunar cycle and a menstrual cycle might be similar and you might just sync up and that's fine. There are some patients that swear by, you know, the fact that they always sync up with the moon cycle. And there are theories, and I think this is more relevant to like thousands of years ago where maybe there wasn't, you know, there wasn't electricity and artificial light as much as there is now. There are theories that perhaps, you know, the link is the exposure to light because there is a gland in the brain called the pineal gland that secretes melatonin. And it very much establishes the circadian rhythm, right? We all have a circadian rhythm. That's why we get jet lagged. That's why, you know, shift workers have certain medical problems. I mean, like, it changes your body um, if you have a different pattern of exposure to light and daytime. So I do think that that we have evidence that exposure to light can change the hormonal environment. So even though I don't necessarily have an exact mechanism and and link that I can draw, I don't, I don't, I think it's within the realm of possibility that there could be a link. But yeah, I I think it's a really interesting concept and, and theory for sure.
explaining that. I think it's it's interesting to think about the full moon and illumination and that that could potentially signify a a jolt to the system. I also I want to shift gears a little bit because I am 32 and I'm of the age where many of my friends are either getting pregnant, trying to get pregnant, or some are having an unfortunate problem with miscarrying. And I I, I think because for whatever reason, I, I think that there is a little bit more conversation around that right now, potentially because people are more open and willing to share these experiences given social media or podcasting, whatever the case may be. And rea reality and TV. reality <laughs> television, of course. What would you tell a woman who has, you know, recently experienced a miscarriage about their fertility journey and what that means? Yeah. So I think, thankfully, as you said, people are talking about it more. Even a five to ten years ago, I feel like that was not the case. And a lot of women who have experienced miscarriages have suffered in silence. First off. There's a lot of shame. A lot of women are, you know, self-blaming. They feel like maybe I shouldn't have lifted that box or maybe I was exercising too hard or I was stressed. And a lot of women will turn it on themselves and, you know, incorrectly blame themselves and think that there's definitely something that they did or they could have done better. And there's a lot of guilt associated with it. And so because of that, I think it's one of those types of problems where traditionally people didn't want to share and talk about it because they felt that guilt. And it's really unfortunate because, you know, it's already such a difficult loss to suffer emotionally and then to compound that with isolation and then feelings of self-blame. It's really an unbearable form of torture. And so I'm really happy that people are being more open about it now. And there's, you know, you can see on social media, hashtag one in four, that is referring to this very real statistic that 25% of pregnancies end in miscarriage. And that sounds really high, but I can tell you as someone who, you know, practiced general OBGYN, I would cover the ER and every night I would get called to the ER multiple times for miscarriages, right? Because women are scared a lot of times there's a lot of heavy bleeding, cramping. They're not sure what's going on. And, you know, it's viewed as a medical emergency. And so I, we see this all the time. It's happening everywhere around us all the time. And the reason why one in four pregnancies end in miscarriage is because so many ovulations involve eggs that don't have the right amount of DNA. They're supposed to have 23 chromosomes, and a lot of them just don't. And these typos or errors in nature manifest as, you know, if, if that abnormal egg is fertilized and turns into an embryo, that embryo usually won't implant if it's abnormal, but some of them do, and then they stop growing because DNA is like GPS. If you don't have the right amount, then you don't have the proper guidance for normal growth and development. And eventually that growth and development is going to stop. And so the number one cause, 95% of all miscarriages are because that embryo was genetically abnormal. And most of those errors are inherited by the egg. And that's not, I'm not saying that in a blame game type of way. It's just inherent to our biology because we can't make new eggs or fix our eggs. And this is happening in 20 year olds. This is happening at all ages. It does become more common as we get older because more of the eggs, a higher proportion of the eggs start to become abnormal. But it is part of our human biology. 
And a lot of times people don't believe that one in four statistic because not everyone's trying to get pregnant or carefully tracking their cycle. So a lot of these are early, early miscarriages that might have happened a week after missing your period. And you just think, oh, it's my period's off. It's late by a week. But you don't know, right? And then you're not necessarily going to be aware of these things. So I think knowing that it's really common, understanding that the most common cause, 95% or more of miscarriages are for, from a cause that you have nothing to do with. It has nothing to do with your environment, your mental state. It was just an egg that didn't have the right amount of DNA. And there was no amount of acupuncture, healthy lifestyle, diet that was going to change that, right? So it's out of the locus of your control. And the other major thing that I want to say, PSA, is if someone has had two or more miscarriages, they should see a doctor. Because while we already know what the most common cause is, you always want to rule out other things that could be getting in the way, right? Examples being you might have something called a fibroid or a polyp that's sitting inside the uterus, acting like an IUD, getting in the way of an embryo while it's trying to implant. That's an easy problem to fix, right? And there could be other small things, hormonal things that we can diagnose and fix. And if that's the underlying cause, then you should have a really good outcome moving forward. And a lot of times you may not know what the actual cause was, but Good news is studies show a lot of women who've had recurrent pregnancy losses go on to have a healthy live birth. So, you know, there's a lot of hope in that statement. I really appreciate what you said, uh, specifically through the education, it gives women hope. And one thing that as women, we, the reality is we experience a lot of trauma. So women who have the experience of a mixed carriage, that's trauma, that changes the mind body soul connect in a way that the woman doesn't necessarily understand but the people who can support that woman don't understand either so in the reference of trauma and speaking to trauma what can a woman do who recently experienced some form of a miscarriage or just had some form of trauma history that has affected her womb how can she how can she reconnect to her womb and how can she do her best to reduce that heightened stress that comes from trauma? Yeah, no, that's a really important topic of conversation. When I see women with prior miscarriages, I see how profoundly it affects all aspects of their life. It honestly is like a form of PTSD. And what I have observed in women with prior miscarriages is when they have that subsequent pregnancy, it's like they're reliving that whole thing again. And it's almost like as they approach that point in their new pregnancy, their current pregnancy, where they had the miscarriage in the prior, it just gets heightened. And only once you get past that timeline, do things get a little bit better. But even then, I find that there is this overwhelming sense of doom and what's around the corner, and they're so afraid to have that experience happen to them again. So I feel like it should be treated like a form of PTSD. I feel like we need to be talking about this more. When I have a patient who's had recurrent miscarriages, I will give them resources that they can look up and you know, go have a free support group. Now everything's virtual. There's an organization called the Pregnancy Loss Support Group, PLSP, that I learned about quite recently. And what I love about them is that they actually have patients who volunteer 
patients that have gone through losses who drew on their support now are volunteers that help connect with new women that are currently going through it. And I think that's really powerful because women who have experienced it themselves are probably best positioned to help other women going through it. And it probably helps with their healing as well, because it's something that I think always stays with you when you go through that type of trauma. But I think one of the ways that you can self-heal is to help other people and kind of pay it forward. So I think that services like that are really important. I think partnering with a physician who is compassionate, who makes you feel understood and heard and understands the profound impact that miscarriage has had on your experience and how you move through you know, the, the treatments that follow, I think that's really important. And you know, it's important to not just rely on your partner if you have a partner or your family and friends because you know, it can get very exhausting and fatiguing. So I think trying to garner as much support and diversify your support system as much as you can whether that be, you know, going to support groups and also trying to be really open with your family and friends about it. Thank you for that. I know that will definitely help many women out there. I know for me personally, this is kind of interesting, but my first psychic ever told me that I would have three pregnancies, but only two would go to term. So it was kind of a funny conversation. Well, it wasn't funny, obviously, but he said, um, have you been pregnant before? And I said, I don't think so. And he was like, well, honey, you would know. (laughs) So it was just a part. I always listen back to that first conversation. But when he told me, honestly, there is a little bit of a sense of relief because if that does happen to me, I won't feel completely like it wasn't part of the journey. And also just knowing that I've, and I think this happens probably for many of you who are listening, you know, you start to encounter people in your own life that have gone through something and it almost kind of prepares the lining for you to potentially go through that yourself. And I feel like that's what's happening for me personally right now. So whether or not that is the case. And I think that's why women probably derive so much comfort from talking to you guys, because I know you said you're not you know, clairvoyant or a psychic, but I think being, you know, spiritual and being in touch with the overall big picture and being able to kind of give some sort of big picture view to someone, especially if they're in the weeds going through these types of problems and challenges, I think we can never underestimate how powerful and important that is because telling someone that it's going to be okay, you're going to get there, I just maybe don't know the ins and outs of how it's going to look, but I see that for you and you're going to get there. I think those words are very powerful and very comforting and it probably helps, you know, it probably helps a lot of patients kind of get through that day-to-day struggle. Specifically for me, I've never experienced a form of miscarriage, but I do know that I've been affected by sexual abuse trauma. So I work with a lot of women who have been violated in that way. And I do know that they're, even from a spiritual perspective, I can prescribe a type of herb or I can suggest that they go speak to a psychiatrist about the violation and how that's affected their mind, body, soul connection. But there is a level of comfort that I get as a survivor from guiding someone through that healing journey. And there's there's truly nothing like it. For me personally, just to learn how to reconnect to my sacral chakra again, my root chakra, the lower chakras that really center my womb has been such a healing process for me. 
my menstrual cycle prior to seeking healing was never regular at all whatsoever. And it wasn't until I started seeking some form of therapy and healing that it started to regulate itself again to the point now, like I, I literally know when my body is releasing an egg and from which side of the fallopian tubes, right? Which where it's yeah. being, <laughs> where it's being released. Um, so it really is a journey of not only getting to acceptance, of the trauma, but also it's a it's a journey just to understanding the body overall. And a huge part of women and understanding the body is to reconnect to that center, to that womb energy. And the education that you provided us throughout this podcast will definitely enlighten and help people reconnect to that space. That's awesome. I'm I ho- I'm hopeful that that's something that comes out of today's conversation for sure. I feel like we could talk to you all day. This has been, yes, like Erica said, so enlightening. To learn more, I know you publish so much content and on your own blog and with other larger publications, but can you tell everybody where to find you? Sure. So you can follow me on social media on Instagram. My handle is just my first name dot last name. So at lucky.fecon. I just started, it's still in its infancy, um, my own personal blog where it has my musings and I'm trying to collect all of the media stuff that I've been working on. But I try to put together articles of really practical information of things that I would want to know if, you know, I put myself in the patient perspective. So just, you know, commonly asked questions or common misconceptions, dispelling fertility myths and things like that. So you can read up on that at www.theluckyegg.com. <laughs> and yeah, I, I work in New York. I'm based at Reproductive Medicine Associates of New York, uh, RMA of New York, which is a large fertility center. We have six different offices and I'm based out of Soho in Midtown East. So you could always, you know, make an appointment with me if you wanted to have a conversation, get a reproductive checkup or learn more about Uh, different things like fertility preservation or treatments. Amazing. Thank you. We'll put all of your recommendations and where everyone can find you in the show notes as well. So yeah, I mean, Lucky, thank you so much for coming today. I know you have a busy rest of your day with your clients, so we really appreciate it. Well, thank you so much for having me. I would love to do this again. And I'm always game to answer common questions. And this was a really fun conversation because I feel like I learned something new too. I hadn't really ever thought about the lunar cycle and menstrual cycles. And now I feel like, you know, that that's something that I want to read more about. So thank you. (laughs) Bye everyone. Thank you.